If you dig the twisted, admire the outlandish, and are enamored by the unusual, you're in the right place. True crime, the supernatural, the unexplained, now you're speaking our language. If you agree, join us as we dive into the darker side. You know, because it's more fun over here. Welcome to Total Conundrum. Warning, some listeners may find the following content disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> hey there, Conundrum crew. Welcome back to another episode of Total Conundrum. Guys, this episode is number 10. We hit double digits. Woohoo! What a great milestone, right, Tracy? It sure is, Jeremy. Double digits on a day in Minnesota where it's almost triple digits outside? Phew, recording is going to be a hot one today. But for now, Conundrum Crew, we've got a spine-tingling treat for all of you horror enthusiasts out there. Maybe the chills from this story will cool us down a little bit. Absolutely, Tracy. Let's hope so. We're diving headfirst into one of the most iconic and hair-raising stories in cinematic history. That's right, folks. Get ready to be both terrified and intrigued as Jeremy takes the reins to tell us about the horrors behind The Exorcist. Ah, The Exorcist. A film that has haunted our dreams and left us questioning the boundaries between the natural and the supernatural. And it's not just a movie, folks. It's a story rooted in real-life accounts of possession, exorcism, and that age-old battle between good and evil. So make sure you're seated comfortably, maybe with a nightlight on if it helps, as we embark on a journey into the unknown. Grab your popcorn, but maybe keep a crucifix nearby, just in case, because the exorcist is not for the faint of heart. But before we dive in, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a thumbs up if you enjoyed the episode. That's right, Jeremy. Also, a rating and review would mean the world to us if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Last episode, we discussed collaborating with a few different podcasts and how we will be sharing their amazing trailers with all of you in future episodes. So make sure you continue to show them some love as well. Before we terrify you with this episode of The Exorcist, we want to play a trailer that Amanda from One Nothing Podcast shared with us. Thank you, Amanda, for collaborating with us. We're working on doing a future crossover episode with Amanda and her crew, and we're super excited. Everyone, go check out One Nothing Podcast and show her the love and support that you show us. Are you struggling with a lack of access to captivating entertainment and media? Are you faced with constant judgment and ridicule from friends and family for your inability to respond appropriately to sensitive situations? If this sounds like you, you might be suffering from being emotionally dead inside. But it's not too late to make a change. One Nothing Podcast is a newly available treatment for being dead inside. Taken just once every two weeks, One Nothing could make a world of difference. By combining carefully measured dark humor to the amazing original formula of grisly fatalities, One Nothing Podcast has successfully entertained thousands of people suffering from death inside. And with access across all podcast platforms, treatment has never been more readily available. But don't trust my word. Here's some real-world testimonials from a few of our listeners currently undergoing treatment. From consistent doses of One Nothing Podcast, my posture has greatly improved due to being kept on the edge of my seat. The One Nothing Podcast comes on, everybody be like, shut the f*** up. I'll be quiet. But when the episode's over... I'll be talking again. Oh my gosh, buddy. I used to be on so many medications for blood pressure. And then I listened to One Nothing Podcast's episode on Kitty Genovese, moved into an apartment on my own, and haven't needed it since. That one really got my blood pumping. You know, listening to One Nothing Podcast, I'm I'm not constipated anymore. I'm just full of s***. So what's stopping you from great entertainment? 
One Nothing podcast is not intended for all audiences. Listeners under 18 years of age should obtain permission from your parent or guardian before downloading. Tell your therapist if you're predisposed to whining, complaining, leading podcasts poorly, being overall combative, or being easily offended as One Nothing podcast might not be right for you. So stop letting great content pass you by. Talk to your therapist today to see if One Nothing podcast is right for you. And now, without further ado, let's join Jeremy as he unravels the spine-chilling secrets behind The Exorcist. So with The Exorcist, I thought I remembered watching it as a kid. But when you were watching it the other day, there was so much that I don't even remember. So I don't know if I just don't remember the movie And I just remember people talking about it. Probably what happened is is you tried to watch it as a kid, but you had to sneak out into the hallway and watch it laying down on the floor. Sticking your head out your bedroom door. Yeah, (laughs) so you only got bits and pieces of it, and that's what you remember. That could be, because I did that. I remember doing that with Nightmare um, on Elm Street. and Then you're probably scared for weeks in your bed. I'm sure. That's probably why I thought our house growing up was haunted. <laughs> but no, I'm excited to hear this story, and I am definitely going to put The Exorcist on my uh, must-watch list, because I don't remember a lot of it. Yeah, so it's pretty good. It, it holds up pretty well. We'll see if I can watch it without watching it through my fingers anyway. Yeah. All right. Well, this story is the exorcism of Roland Doe. In some religions, an exorcist is a person who is believed to be able to cast out the devil or perform the ridding of demons or other supernatural beings who are alleged to have possessed a person or a building or an object. An exorcist can be specially prepared or instructed person, including a priest, a nun, a monk, a witch doctor, a shaman, a psychic, or a geomancer. A psychic can do an exorcism? Well, not through the Catholic Church. Right. I guess. Interesting. I guess I never associated a psychic with being able to do an exorcism. Yeah. And just letting you know what Wikipedia says. Yeah, that's good. That's good. (laughs) Learning something new every day. Yeah, well, we know Wikipedia isn't always right, so. Right. Who has watched the Exorcist movie? I thought I did. (laughs) It is probably one of the scariest movies ever made. But did you know it is also based on true accounts? Of course, Hollywood did add their own spin to the story a bit. Regan, the 12-year-old girl, is possessed by a demon, possibly the devil himself. People filled the streets on the release of the 1973 movie, many only lasting 10 minutes into the movie before fainting and passing out in overwhelming fear. Are you serious? Yeah. Wow. True story. They had a few news articles about that, too. So only a few films have ever had the power to make people lose their cookies all over the theater. Oh, no, those poor (laughs) theater employees. (laughs) Many theaters started handing out barf bags because people kept vomiting in the auditoriums. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, I would hate to be the janitor working while the film was playing on the silver screen, cleaning up. Clean up on aisle 666. Ah, that's awesome. (laughs) At the beginning of filming the movie, there were many odd occurrences that the cast believed the location to be haunted. One incident that took place while filming was a fire that destroyed the entire set. However, to make this event even more eerie, Regan's demonic bedroom was untouched by the fire. What the? Are you? No way. Yeah. Way. What? This scared the cast and crew so severely that they had to have a priest come in to bless the set. Well, no shit. I would too. (laughs) I would have been gone. Totally unrelated to the exorcist, but a friend of mine in our 20s, they unfortunately had a fire that destroyed everything in their house. I mean, their CDs were a melted log. I mean, everything, pictures, everything was gone. Except for the bills on their kitchen counter. They were barely scorched. 
I'm like, do they spray those things with fire retardant or what? Well, you got to pay your bills. I mean, jeez. I'm like, seriously, everything in that house was gone except for the bills. Bills are kind of demonic. Yeah, (laughs) they are. Rumor has it that nine people's death are said to be linked to the movie. Actor Jack McGowan, and I'm going to try to pronounce his name, but uh, Vasiliki Malaros passed away while filming commenced. But the freakiest part is that both characters died in the film. Coincidence? I think not. So those two were confirmed to have died after filming. Yeah, but, but it's rumored. also died in the film. Oh, they died in the film as well. Yeah, they're they were the priests. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. But there, it's rumored that more people from the movie had passed. Yep, there was a total of yeah nine people. Wow. What's the famous saying? The devil is in the details. That is a very true saying. Real screams can be heard in a scene in the movie from the actress Ellen Burst while playing Chris Regan's mother. In the scene where Regan is mutilating herself as her mother runs to stop her, the demon in Regan throws her down to the floor. She then lets out a bone-chilling scream, and those screams are real. What? The stuntman had pulled a wire rig, holding her much too hard, causing her to hurt her back and hit the floor, leading to a permanent spinal injury. Oh, no. Yeah. That's demonic. Right so there. equipment malfunction. Operator malfunction. Well, I that guess. too. Yeah, they I suppose. Pulled her too damn hard. So the son of Mercedes McBridge, who voiced the demon, ended his wife's and two daughters' lives before taking his own. The demon's real name is never mentioned in the film itself, but it is said to be possessed by Pazunu, the demon of wind. He is also known as the King of the Wind Demons, son of the god Hanby, and has been around since the 8th century BCE. Wow. I don't think I've ever heard of him. He's old. He is older than dirt. I mean, holy shnikes. The first time the film was shown in Rome, it was at a theater sandwiched between two churches on the day of its premiere. There was a severe heavy downpour and lightning storm that unexpectedly occurred. To make the atmosphere even more terrifying, a lightning strike caused the ancient cross, which was 400 years old, to fall in the center of the theater. What? This unexplainable and unsettling incident convinced many that there was something ominous about the movie. Well, hell yeah, you're sitting there watching a movie about an exorcism. <laughs> and a giant cross and it flies down. <laughs> through the ceiling of the movie theater you're watching it in. I'd be uh, going to the closest shop and buying a crucifix and going and hiding in my home after that. Yeah, amazingly, I didn't say anything about any injuries or... Yeah, that's... Yeah. And if that's the case, if there was no injuries, that's pretty damn lucky. Yeah, very. So now on to the real exorcist story. And see, I didn't know that it was based on something different until... I kind of remember hearing something about it, you know, a rumor that it was... Something on... Related. Yeah. I guess I didn't know much about it until researching a little bit. I'm excited for this part. Because originally this story was going to be about exorcists themselves right so and their jobs their duties and so forth and it kind of melded into this beautiful um alternate story that you created yep i love it So cottage city maryland was the home of roland doe roland was an only child in his family so most of his playmates were his family members roland was very close with his aunt tilly who was a spiritualist They spent a lot of time together using a Ouija board to contact spirits. Not smart. Not smart. And that's when all the oddities started happening. So on January 15th, 1949, Roland Doe and his family began to hear scratching noises coming from the walls, the floors, water dripping, the movement of mattresses and furniture on their own accord and other objects such as vases flying or levitating when Roland is nearby. 
I told you it's not smart to play with a Ouija board. They didn't close that shit out. I didn't close that shit out. Nope. Have a question. Yeah. Roland, that's a pseudoname, right? That's a pseudoname. And we never have known what his real name is, nope, right? They've, they've always kept it a secret. There okay. are rumors of his real name. Okay. And, of course, there are a few people that appear to know his real name and what happened to him in life. Right. Well, Which, I'm glad they were able to... Uh, you know, give him a pseudonym and let, let this man live his life, you know, yeah, quietly. Normally. 11 days after the noises in the house started occurring, Roland received news that Aunt Tilly had died that night. Poor Tilly. The disturbances began again, but this time in Roland's bedroom. After Aunt Tilly's death, the disturbances got even more intense to the point that the noises sounded like an army marching on the floors and the walls, and moving towards Roland's bed. Jeez. Roland's mother screams, Tilly, if that's you, knock three times. Then suddenly they receive three, three knocks. knocks. Damn smart demons. Yeah. To their request. So now they think it's the spirit of Aunt Tilly, but... Then left wondering, why would Aunt Tilly be tormenting her beloved nephew, Roland? It just didn't seem right to them. As time went on, things just kept getting progressively worse. It would start peaceful each night. Then as soon as Roland fell asleep, the house would come alive with noises and objects moving, seemingly getting more aggressive. Bed shaking and levitating had become the new norm in their household. That sounds like some poltergeist activity. Yeah, I think that comes up in the story, too. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Possibly. I mean, there's a speculation of it. Okay. Anyways. The bed would shake so hard that the headboard was banging up against the wall. The mattress was bouncing. And this was all happening with a very skinny 13-year-old boy sitting in the center of the bed. He would start screaming and moaning in a guttural voice. Ooh. The kids he went to school with years later would talk about hearing strange sounds and voices, and people in the neighborhood would speak to one another about it and assume that he had mental health issues. While in school, classmates would witness strange phenomena happening in the classroom. Books flew through the air, papers flew across the room, and a couple of instances where the desk would start sliding, almost vibrating across the floor. Poor kid didn't get a break no matter where he was. Nope. His teachers believed that he was doing it as a way of getting attention. Of course, Roland told the teachers he wasn't doing it, but they didn't believe him, of course. Of course not. As Roland's school behavior worsened, he stopped going to school completely. With worry increasing, Roland's parents decided to take him to a doctor. The medical doctor runs many tests and can't find anything physically wrong with Roland. His well, parents. That's good that they couldn't find anything wrong, but bad that all of the stuff is still happening to him. Yeah, and there's much more to come. Lots of doctors and therapists. And yeah. His parents then take him to a psychiatrist to see if he has schizophrenia or manic depression. After more testing, they could not find any issues with Roland. Then they also sent him to a parapsychologist and could not find anything wrong with him either. The psychiatrist described Roland as normal but high-strung, which describes basically the entire planet. Right. <laughs> February 17th, 1949. The family approached their Lutheran pastor, Luther Miles Schultz, for assistance. He was practicing parapsychology. Schultz arranged for the boy to spend the night in his home in order to observe him. Schultz is wondering if poltergeists are the cause of the weird phenomena surrounding Roland. He set up two beds in the room and Roland slept on one and Schultz slept on the other. After Roland fell asleep, the bed started shaking on the floor. Schultz wasn't sure if it was a hoax by Roland but was alarmed by what he saw. So he told Roland to go sleep on an armchair on the other side of the room. And it didn't take long when it started back up. 
The armchair was rocking and swaying to the point that the chair flips over backwards. What? Yeah. It's going in circles in the movie, too, and all kinds of crazy stuff. That's a carnival ride I wouldn't want to be on. (laughs) Me, too. Reverend Schultz is so shocked by what he sees, he now has Roland lying on a mattress on the floor next to one of the beds. Roland's blankets looked like they were being tugged, and then suddenly the whole mattress slid underneath the bed he was laying by, and the mattress started lifting up and violently smashing his face into the underside of the bed frame. Jesus Christ. Yeah. February 26, 1949. Schultz was out of ideas at this point, so he brought Roland back home. Roland's condition appears to be worsening. And then during the next four nights, Roland is scratched on his arms, leaving claw marks symbolizing the unholy trinity. After the fourth night, words started coming through as scratches, even branding of the skin. Now they come to the conclusion that this is not normal. This is something diabolical. Yeah, because floating kids, beds, and other shit is normal. (laughs) Reverend Schultz suggests to the parents at this point to get in touch with a Catholic priest. He said they have more knowledge of demonic possessions. The parents reached out to Father Edward Albert Hughes an assistant priest at St. James Catholic Church. When they took Roland to see Father Hughes at his office, he said the room got extremely cold and the telephone slid across the table onto the floor. Roland screamed at the priest and said, Why bother me, you priest from hell? He continued to cast out profanities at the priest. Father Hughes sensed an evil presence in Roland, perhaps even the devil. Dun, 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 dun. That is crazy. I could do. So Father Hughes contacts Archbishop Patrick O'Boyle. O'Doyle rules! <laughs> in Washington, D.C. at the Georgetown Hospital. After talking to Archbishop O'Doyle about Roland's situation. Now you're going to want to say O'Doyle all the time. <laughs> <laughs> O'Doyle rules! Who threw the banana peel out the window? <laughs> about Roland's situation and pleads a case for an exorcism to be performed, Archbishop O'Doyle agrees. They admit Roland under the assumed name. They start to strap him to the bed, and Father Hughes begins to read the prayers of exorcism when something goes horribly wrong. Roland managed to somehow get his hands out of one of the restraints, then tear a bedspring out of the mattress and use it to cut Father Hughes's arm from his shoulder all the way down to his wrist. Whoa. Requiring over 100 stitches. Holy smackerels. And unfortunately halting the exorcism at that point. Well, yeah, he's going to bleed out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Roland was held in the psychiatric ward on February 27th through March 2nd. There is no information whether they attempted another exorcism or any other treatments during this period of time. Both of my sources from the St. Louis University and the documentary called The Exorcism of Roland Doe on Max show the same dates. So on to March 3rd, Roland is discharged from Georgetown Hospital and goes back home. After a couple days home, He plunges deeper into despair. As he is getting ready for bed, he opens his shirt to find deep scratch marks on his stomach that look like hieroglyphics. Like cave writings, drawings Egyptian writing. Okay. Yep. But they say it spelled out the word Lewis. His parents worried that it was a message, and they had family in St. Louis. Roland's father's brother lived in St. Louis. They decided that they were going to take Roland to St. Louis, just based on the carvings on his stomach, hoping they would find some support or relief from the nightmare they were living in. They moved in with some family members living in the area who were devout Catholics. Living in a quiet suburb of Belnor, Missouri, on March 8, 1949, hoping they left the evil spirit behind, The family tries to make sense of what to do next, but the devil decided to tag along. 
road trip down Route 66. Oh, boy. (laughs) (laughs) Right away, as soon as lights went out, things started ramping up. Bed shaking, things flying around the room, loud bangs, bumps, moans, groans, and screaming. Wow. Scaring the entire family. Roland had a cousin who was experiencing everything that was going on. She attends the University of St. Louis and has a professor who is also a priest. She went to talk to Father Raymond J. Bishop, and she told him about Roland and that she believed something spiritual was happening to him and asked if he could come over and take a look at him. Father Bishop agrees to meet Roland and monitor his sleeping behavior. March 11th, 1949. Father Bishop arrives at the home along with Father William Bodern. They go right into Roland's bedroom. Both Father Bishop and Bodern recite prayers and notice no signs of demonic possession while they are there. Then the second they leave the room, all hell breaks loose. Of course it does. Of course. The first sound of a loud bang starts and a bottle filled with holy water on Roland's nightstand flies across the room. Then, a large bookcase slides across the floor, blocking the doorway, the only doorway in or out of the bedroom. Well, that's not creepy at all. No, not at all. Perfectly normal situation. Oh, totally. So the priest came back and once again witnessed all the strange activity. The priests are all in now. Both of them believe in a demonic possession happening to Roland. Father Bodern knows very little about performing an exorcism, so he goes to consult the Roman ritual, which has the prayer to recite for the 1,700-year-old ancient Catholic rite of exorcism. That's pretty old. Yeah, it's, it's a little old. <laughs> exorcisms are almost as old as the Bible itself. The Bible depicts Jesus himself performing exorcisms on the possessed. Now, Father Bodern must prove to the Catholic Church that Roland needs an exorcism and is to follow the path to a full demonic possession. The Church identifies four types of demonic activity. Demonic infestation, which is the presence of evil in a location or an object. Demonic vexation, which they believe they are experiencing physical attacks from a demon. Demonic obsession which are mental attacks, i.e. hearing voices, seeing things, and demonic possession, where the demon takes control of a person's body. Roland has already experienced three out of the four of these requirements. Jeez. They are hoping to get the exorcism approved before he reaches full diabolical possession. Father Bodern contacts Archbishop Joseph Ritter, in St. Louis to get an approval to start performing the exorcism of Roland Doe, and he requests to get a priest experienced in exorcisms. Archbishop Ritter agrees to the exorcism, but tells Father Bodern that he must perform the exorcism. Father Bodern didn't want anything to do with the exorcism, feeling that he was not qualified, but the church did not give him a choice in the matter, so he had to do what was requested of him. They he didn't feel that he was knowledgeable enough, but they forced him to do it. Yeah, mostly because there was very few mm-hmm. exorcists at that time. So somewhere between early 1800s and up to then, basically the Catholic Church started doing away with exorcisms. exorcisms. So especially in the United States, there were not many around. So yeah, he was basically forced into it and here's a job i don't feel like i'm qualified enough for but oh you're gonna do it anyway (laughs) yeah you got no choice buddy once an exorcism is sanctioned by the church it then takes precedence over anything else to say the church takes exorcism seriously is an understatement in the words of the church evil walks the earth and only faith can combat it especially in Ohio. Lucifer himself probably has a subscription to all your news feeds. Sorry, Ohio. (laughs) 
Ohio is not okay. Yeah. <laughs> what was that that you just... Wasn't there a news article about Ohio that you a came... A cop killing a pregnant lady who in, was a, already, in a car? Yeah. But... Wasn't she already deceased? No. Oh, she was. Okay. Yeah, the cop killed her. But I guess there's more to the story than what we were reading. Okay. So maybe so it's a, for a future episode. <laughs> yeah, because I had to wonder why... He would shoot somebody that's just not willing to get out of the car. But apparently she actually tried to drive over him. Oh. So there's okay. more to that story. There's than... definitely more to that story. Yeah. Deceiving headline. Yeah. Father Bodern is getting ready for his battle with the devil. He needs to prepare himself physically and mentally for the exorcism. Is he going to run the stairs like Rocky? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> March 16th, 1949, the exorcism will be performed at Roland Doe's family house in St. Louis. Father Bodern is accompanied by Father Raymond Bishop and Walter Halloran, who was a seminary student at the time, volunteering to assist with the exorcism. They were preparing to exorcise the demon at all costs themselves. The church insisted on complete secrecy regarding the exorcism, but Father Bodern instructed Father Bishop to create a diary of the exorcism, a transcript of events to occur. Father Bishop did just that. He knew this would be an extreme case and needed it to be well documented. Well, good on them for thinking about that, doing that. Thinking out of the box. Yes. Yeah. They wanted to create a how-to manual for the next priest who needed to perform an exorcism. Yeah, because they're going to throw him in to the fire without any training. Yeah, exactly. They wanted to publish it on their YouTube channel. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> 1949. <laughs> like, did we time jump here? <laughs> okay, bad joke. Father Bodern starts laying out religious items in Roland's room to be used in the exorcism. Holy water, a crucifix, and a long purple stole around his neck, which is used to connect the priest to the possessed victim. This is why I love Gentoo purple. Gives me the warm fuzzies. <laughs> and now I know it can repel demons. You do love Gentoo purple. I do. <laughs> can you really ask for more from your distro than that? No. No. It repels demons. <laughs> Last, the official Roman ritual rites are used to be read during the ceremony, which are prayers to invoke the Holy Spirit. Father Bodern starts reading the prayers, and Roland starts wailing and screaming in pain. Suddenly, more deep scratches appear on his body, some feeling like thorns, and other marks feeling like they were branded into the skin. Jeez. On his right leg, he had a mark that looked like the image of the devil. And on his chest was the word hell carved into his skin. Roland reacted to each mark that would show up with a look of fear and pain on his face. Well, right? Wouldn't you? No, I think it'd feel great. <laughs> and they're just mysteriously showing up. I mean, this... They just appear. This poor kid. Yeah, he's tortured. Damn devils. All because they played with the stupid Ouija board. People, don't Stay play with the... the Ouija. Yes. The manifestations begin to evolve quickly. The priest is trying to get the demon to reveal itself. The belief is that if they can get the demon to reveal itself, the easier it is to exorcise the demon. Exorcise the demon! <laughs> the battle gets more intense. The demon inside Roland refuses to divulge its identity. After nine hours of battling the demon... Roland collapses and falls asleep. Poor kid's wiped. Father Bodern and Father Bishop realize it's going to take more than one night to complete the ritual. It's a strong demon. Very strong. It's the devil. Devil himself, they think. Jeez. So to complete the ritual, to purge the evil spirit from Roland, some exorcisms have been known to go on for weeks, months, and even years. Seriously? Seriously. Do these things like put their tentacles in and just latch on? It, and... it ain't like the movies where they just walk in, get out, 
and he leaves. Well, supernatural, all they do is they spew some Latin and they go shooting out their mouth. <laughs> I mean, well, those it? guys are talented, though. Oh, that's true. You know, they're actors. <laughs> so on day three of the exorcism, Rolando spends the day like any typical teenager, acting as nothing has happened at all. His family believes that the exorcisms are working, but hold the phone. Because the devil's coming back for more. That evening, Roland's mood changes for the worst. Once the priest arrives, Roland transforms into a rabid creature, snarling and trying to bite the man, holding him down. What? Roland motions like he is going to vomit and asks for the window to be opened. Roland tells the father that it feels like the demon is leaving him. And he thought, he could puke the devil right out of himself. He kept saying, he's going, he's going, and then vomited across the room. Is that the pea green soup? That's the split pea green soup, yeah. <laughs> Priests believe that vomiting during an exorcism is very common, and it is seen as a form of liberation. Roland clearly wiped physically and mentally and basically passed out at this point. Father Bodron, believing that the exorcism worked and that the demon had finally been purged, decided to leave the house for the evening and let Roland rest. However, he was wrong. Oh, no. At about 2 a.m., Roland started feeling strange sensations in his stomach and in a few seconds started screaming out, He's coming back! He's coming back! Oh, no. Father Bodern receives a call at 3.15 a.m. to get over to the house. Demons are tricksters. They will try to make you believe everything is okay when it is not. The devil just wanted a time out to catch his breath. Tell the devil there is no rest for the wicked. Roland's nightmare continues with Father Bodern and his assistants as they start the ritual again. An hour in now, all of a sudden... Roland's bed starts levitating off the floor by eight inches or so. What? Priests are shocked and frightened to the cores. The end table beside Roland's bed also starts floating above the floor. They do all they can to overcome the fear that has overtaken them. Walter Halloran, the exorcist's assistant, was haunted by what he had seen up to his death in 2005. March 20th, 1949, the fifth day of the exorcism. Five days. Five wow. Days. Roland's family invited Professor Frank W. Bubb Sr. to see Roland and witness the exorcism being performed. Bubb was sitting on Roland's bedside taking notes when all of a sudden he saw something that really disturbed him. The nightstand started levitating off the floor. He later said there was a lot to discover regarding electromagnetism. I guess the theory could be dispelled pretty simply since it would require loads of power and equipment. It couldn't be done simply with just two magnets and reversing the magnetic pole because it would rise the nightstand, but it would never go back down without crashing from one side to the other. The other could consist of a magnet on the nightstand and a magnetic field generator strong enough to go through the floor to reach the magnet to be able to lift it up and drop it back down in place. I'm not a scientist, but I'm guessing that in 1949, that would entail large equipment, not easy to hide. Definitely not. Not, no. And Roland's not a Houdini, so... Yeah, so, but the guy never even checked. I mean, he just kind of freaked out, ran out, and... You know, that's what his uh, theory was, is something with electromagnetism. But well, there would have been a Tracy-sized hole in the wall if I was in that room, too. So. Sure, I would have, too, but, you know. <laughs> I don't know where this electromagnetism theory came into play, but, you know. I suppose they're just trying to think of things to try to debunk, but. Well, and, you know, something in his field, because that's what he did. Right. You know, he was a scientist, so. I mean, how would you explain hell being carved from the inside of his body? Well, and 
I don't think he's seen that. That was the previous day. But, oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, this nightstand, for one, is made out of wood. Right. So, so there's no metal. Yeah. There's nothing to be magnetized unless there was a something hidden underneath. The right. Yeah. Right. So day eight, Roland's behavior reaches new levels of bizarre and extreme and just keeps getting worse. Father Bodern decides to move Roland to St. Francis Xavier College Church on the St. Louis University campus. However, his outbursts attract unwanted attention from students wandering the campus at night. Students walking by the rectory would notice that the lights were on, windows open, and all kinds of noises, screaming, sounds of animals, and wondering what was going on. Roland is showing signs of full-on demonic possession. A few priests and orderly are trying to restrain Roland and having difficulty holding him down. Father Bodron recites the exorcism ritual while three others hold him down. Roland managed to break free and punch Father Halloran's face, breaking his nose. His rage was so out of control that he even got loose, breaking his restraints and punching a priest in the groin. Ouch. The priest now believed that the demon behind Roland's attack is just getting started. The priests are searching for ways to drive this demon out, but no matter what they have tried, nothing has worked. So they need to formulate a new plan. March 26, 1949. They decided that they could not keep Roland at the rectory any longer because of all the disturbances and bring him back home. Amazingly, once home, he acts relatively normal for the next five days. Everything is peaceful and quiet, so then the family starts to wonder if it's finally over. Nope, the devil's just taking a nap. Pretty much. One night, Roland wanted some paper to write on, and his uncle was an engineer, so he had a bunch of large blueprint paper laying around. He started writing words and messages on the paper. This triggered the family to call the priest to help decipher Roland's writing. He wrote, I will stay the ten days, but will return after the four days are up. I am the devil himself. The days were written in Roman numerals, so they were trying to decipher the message, wondering if it means the devil will be with him for ten days. They just had no idea what it meant. Yeah, I furrowed my brows when you read that off, too, trying to figure out, I mean, is he doing some kind of algebraic conversion problem or something? You know, I'll stay for 10 days or stay for 10 days, but be gone after four. And yeah, I'm uh, not sure. X equals Y equals or X plus Y equals Z. (laughs) People talked funny back in those days. Yes. When the devil roamed the earth. But the Roman numerals is interesting that he used that. Yeah. Like I said, they had no idea what it meant. At this point, Roland has gone through over a dozen exorcisms, and nothing has worked so far. So Father Bodern suggests getting Roland baptized Catholic. A baptism is a form of exorcism because it rejects the power of Satan. Roland was baptized Lutheran, but they thought if he was taught the Catholic religion, it might help with the exorcism. Roland's family is driving him to the church when he has one of his outbursts and starts attacking his uncle driving the car. Jeez. The demon is trying to do anything it can to stop them from making it to the church. To the point where it is trying to cause a car accident. However, Roland's uncle pulls the car over to the shoulder of the road. Roland is screaming, you're going to try to baptize me. You're going to offer me communion. I don't think so. They finally get him to the church, kicking and screaming. Again, it took three people to restrain him to the chair, while Father Bodern performed a shortened version of the baptism ritual. Three days after the baptism ritual, Father Bodern suggested the family that they need to return to Maryland and that he would go with them. So the family followed his instructions. They got on a train and traveled back home. Once they arrived, they would find a hospital or something else to bring Roland to continue with the exorcism. After going through all this for months and months now, Roland is starting to show the signs in his body of the battles he has been going through. He has lost about 40 pounds, is barely eating, 
isn't sleeping. He has some serious large bags under his eyes from sleep deprivation. Father Bodern is searching for a place to bring Roland, but nobody wants to take him. Father Bodern is out of options. He will have to bring him back to St. Louis. April 10th, 1949. The only place that he could find that would take Roland was Alexian Brother Hospital. And he was admitted into the psychiatric ward in Brothers Hospital, which is run by an ancient order of Catholic monks. The monks were known for taking care of the most extreme cases of physical and mental illness cases. As soon as he was admitted, they start the exorcism rituals again. A priest who was interviewed at the time was 86 and just wanted to get his story out. Basically, he stated that in all his years as a priest at Brothers Hospital, he had never seen such an extreme case as Roland's. All the activity surrounding the boy was frightening. Things moving around the room, the superhuman strength of the demon possessing Roland was unimaginable. April 13, 1949, a few days later, Father Halloran takes Roland to an outdoor retreat center on a high bluff thinking the fresh air would do him some good. Hmm, okay. Seems smart. Let's take this 13-year-old kid juiced up on a demon with superhuman strength to a 300-foot drop sheer cliff wall along the banks of the Mississippi River to get fresh air. What could possibly go wrong with that? (laughs) Not a thing. Not a thing, right? They start walking around the ground. And there's a bunch of statues depicting the cross in different forms, which follow a path out to the bluffs. Roland seems interested in the statue. Once they got to the 14th station, where the statue depicting Jesus tied to the cross in a tomb, something snapped in Roland. He started going into a fit, a seizure, and then he starts running. Father Halloran starts running after Roland, and Roland is charging right for the cliff. Father Halloran managed to stop Roland and got him back to the brother's hospital. Father Bodern is now starting to feel the effects of the demonic battle. He is feeling weak, losing about 40 pounds from all the hours of fasting, praying, and the rituals. His face and body were covered in boils. Oh, my God. But he just wouldn't give up. Good on him, but yikes. So I have a question. If the devil or the demon or whatever was forcing Roland to run to that cliff, if the father wouldn't have stopped him, I mean, what good would it be for the demon to throw Roland off the cliff because then his the body he's hosting would be dead so well i'm assuming he could just probably move on to another maybe he would take over professor or uh father halloran uh oh maybe who knows you know yeah i suppose he was uh, but i mean he is the devil so i'm assuming he probably could just jump out at the last minute and move on to his next victim you know well and if the father was that run down and you know, I mean, and, you know, without anybody else around either, he probably could have possessed the father. Yeah, different father. Different father. Because actually Halloran isn't a father yet. He's he's actually the uh, student, oh, the sem- seminary student. okay. But he does become Father Halloran okay. eventually. Father Bodern just wouldn't give up on Roland. His love for the boy was just too strong. He would keep going until Roland was free of demonic possession. April 16, 1949, on Holy Saturday, the day before Easter, a monk places a statue of Michael, the archangel, by Roland's bedside. The archangel Michael is a symbol of good versus evil. The statue seems to have calmed Roland during the exorcisms. Could Michael have joined forces with the priest to help save Roland? April 18, 1949. Father Bodern is pulling out all the holy items for the exorcism. A crucifix, Bible, rosary, and holy water to exorcise the demon. Father Bodern puts the rosary around Roland's neck and he instantly starts screaming, It hurts! It hurts! Father Bodern held it to him so he could not remove it and recited the prayer. Roland tried to grab Father Bodern, 
but instead he placed the crucifix into Roland's hand, which caused Roland to go into convulsions until he eventually dropped the cross. Father Bodern kept asking the demon, what's your name? The demon speaks through Roland in a guttural voice and says, he has to say one more word, one little word. I mean, one big word. He'll never say it. I'm always in him. I may not have much power always, but I am in him. He will never say the word. So now, to figure out this word that Roland will never say, what is the word that will loosen the devil's grip? Suddenly, Roland defies the demon possessing him and starts screaming, Leave! Roland was having a seizure, but lay calm. A voice broke into the prayers in clear, commanding tones and with dignity. Satan, I am Saint Michael, and I command you, Satan, and all the other devil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominius. Immediately, now, Father Bodern realizes that Dominius is the word that the devil said Roland would never say, which is the Latin word that means Lord. Dominius, or Lord, is forcing the demon to recognize the lordship of Jesus Christ. By doing that, it shows a sign of weakness, making it possible to compel it out of Roland. Suddenly, Roland starts having the most ferocious seizures he has had since the exorcism started. While in this state, Roland had a prophetic dream, showing him inside a cave with whom he believed was St. Michael, with a pitchfork and pushing the demons back into hell. Go back into the fiery pit of hell, Satan. After seven or eight minutes of a violent episode, Roland stops shaking and in a calm tone says, he's gone. So do you think St. Michael like temporarily possessed him for those words to come out? I think so. I think that's what uh, exactly happened. Okay. He came in to start fighting the demon and gave Roland a little bit of control back. Got, and that would explain why he was able calm. to say what he was. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Calm. Go St. Michael. Go St. Michael. Yeah. Archangels rock. So after a few minutes, Roland appeared to be back to normal. Yet Father Bodern wasn't so sure. I'm with you, Father Bodern. Fool me once. Shame on you. Fool me twice. Shame on me. Right. <laughs> Fool me three times. I throw you in a box full of bees. Ooh. Ooh. Father Bodern asked God for a sign that this was really all over. All of a sudden, there was a loud boom that shook the entire building. And I must say that this building was huge. Wow. So loud that one of the monks thought the furnace exploded. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> Moments after the blast, in the church, monks see a vision of St. Michael floating above the dome of the St. Francis Xavier Church. That was the sign that Father Bodern was waiting for. At that moment, he knew for sure it was over. Yay! Yay! Roland returned home to Maryland, and he kept practicing his Catholic religion, went to a Catholic high school, got married, and had children. He even named his first child after St. Michael. He went to college and went to school for aerospace engineering. Wow. Literally becoming a rocket scientist and working part-time with NASA. Good on him. He also has a couple of patents to his name, including shielding they used on the rockets. Roland Doe is now in his 80s. He has never wanted to tell his story and probably never will. Oh, wait a second. They just said that he had a patent on that specific thing. Wouldn't it just take somebody looking up that patent to be able to figure out what his name is? If you knew his name. But if they said the specific patent that... They didn't say a patent number. Oh, they just said... They just said shielding on there. Oh, okay. Which... I'm like, did they just out him? <sighs> no, because I'm sure there's probably more people involved in that than just That's him. true. That's true. But... You know, you could probably track him down, you know, one way or another. But I, I won't because I want him to be able to <laughs> live his life peacefully. Yeah, let him, let him go out how he wants to go. Exactly. If he wants to tell his story, he can tell it. 
So basically, I got all my sources from university website and then also from the documentary itself and a few tidbits off of Wikipedia. Otherwise, that's all I got for you. That's my story. Wow. Great job. Thanks. I enjoyed that immensely. It was it was a roller coaster. <laughs> it was a roller coaster. Is he possessed? Is he not? <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. You know, I mean, they never talk about anything like that in any of the other movies, you know. It's just a quick, uh, here's the priest. They show up. They do the thing. Right. Devil's go. Yeah, I never realized it could take years. Yeah. That is. In Roland's case, it took about two and a half months. If you tally up. Everything. When the noises started to it finally ending. So wild ride. And, you know, the other thing with like the Exorcist movie itself, you know, there was no down times in that girl's behavior in the movie. You know, when when she's possessed and she's taken over, she's that way throughout the throughout whole Throughout the rest of the movie. You know, whereas apparently this kid, sometimes he'd seem normal. Other times he would seem like the devil himself. So did his face change and stuff like Regan's did? And They don't state anything like okay. that. Um, I'm thinking that was just theatrical, you know. Well... Pl- because so, her face gets really creepy. Yeah, and originally when I started writing this story and I was going to do it on priests and exorcisms, the one priest that I was looking into, Vincent Lambert, he did say in this documentary, because he's one of the people talking about the movie, uh-huh. that... The eyes will change color. The eyes will change colors? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I've seen that in other sh- depicted in other shows too, like Supernatural. They blink and they right. change black. Or He never said anything about uh, the 365 degree rotation <laughs> of Regan's head. <laughs> you know? That's crazy. But I guess to some degree we know that the uh, split pea soup thing is, uh, is, right. is real. Because unfortunately, Roland missed the window <laughs> and hit the wall right by the window. Well, it's hard to aim your puke. <laughs> true, true. When Especially I was, when the window's 10 feet away. When I was probably five or six years old, my mom dropped me off at this babysitter, I remember. And for dinner, they made split pea soup. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't eat it. I wouldn't either. I refused. I mean, if I put it in my mouth, it looked like the exorcist. Right? Well, they made me sit there the entire, I think it was like around six to eight hours that they were watching me and would not let me leave the table until the soup was gone. That sounds demonic right there. Right. I think they were possessed. I think they were. Somebody needs to exercise their demons. Nobody (laughs) eats pea soup. Come on. But in uh, honor of this story, looks like runny snot. It does. I people eat it. I don't know how, but in honor of this movie, I happened to come across a Reagan animatronic that we're going to be adding to our haunted house. Ooh. So we'll be doing an exorcist scene. I'm very excited about that. Who's going to be the priest? Oh, we all. You should be a priest and I'll be a possessed nun. We could dress up Michael Myers as the priest. <laughs> we could. We could. <laughs> all right. Well, that's all we have for you guys today. That's a wrap, people. And Until next time. We love you. Goodbye. Love you. Smell you later. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for hanging out with us here at Total Conundrum. Please make sure to check out our website and blog at TotalConundrum.com. For news, upcoming events, merch, bloopers, and additional hysteria, you never know what will pop up, so be sure to follow along. If you want to show your support for Total Conundrum and gain access to all of our bonus content, please visit our Patreon page. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The links are available in our show notes. If you have any questions, comments, recommendations, or stories to share, please email us at contact at totalconundrum.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, 
Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. We appreciate the love. Keep on creeping on, mother cluckers.